Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Jerry Springer. Oh, Thank you. Oh man, that's cool. So, um, yeah, I wore my same shirt again from last from last show. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wear this every, every Tuesday or or two Tuesdays in a row. Tuesday shirt. Uh, we've got a band on. We had this band on last week. It's called Massing. They're from uh, out of West Virginia. And uh, you got to stick around for this because these guys are really good. And we yep. often do yep. uh, folky kind of stuff, which we love and we'll continue to do that. We love uh, folk. And if you're new to the podcast, we feature a different band or individual and it's all original music uh, to kind of highlight up and coming artists, give them uh, more exposure. And massing's a little different. They're like a big sound and they're brassy and they're musically outstanding. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I was listening to them last week and thinking, God, this is, I don't know. It sounded kind of Santana to me, but I'm a Santana fan (laughs) from way back in the 1970s when they were. Well, they're from West Virginia. Why don't we get to West Virginia and see them in person? Yeah, Santana's from West Virginia. Uh, not really. Uh, so uh, anyway, hey, uh, Jerry. Yes. There's always something happening on the river, is the old saying. There's always something going on in America that warrants somebody doing a rant on it. And you do these great rants. What got on your radar this week? Well, the other day on television, I was watching the preeminent conservative intellectual of our time, uh, George Will, being interviewed by Brian Williams. And he was asked, how did conservatism and its traditional host, the Republican Party, how did it get hijacked by a carnival barker, a buffoon, if you will, like Donald Trump? How come the political philosophy of conservatism which at times over the past 50 years seemed to be moving toward dominance, how come it now seems as dead as some of the traditions it was trying to conserve? The Republican Party, as we've said so often recently, is no longer a political party of ideas, but rather simply a cult held together by nothing more than a belief in, or at least the tolerance of white supremacy. Why did the party, which admittedly had some respectable people and ideas in it, not necessarily ideas I would support, yet respectable, how come it so easily imploded and dissolved at the hands of a mental 12-year-old? And I immediately wondered if Trump, of no political philosophy other than his own self-interest, if Trump coming down his escalator back in 2015 to announce his candidacy for president, if he had said he was entering the Democratic primary, which, by the way, had no obvious frontrunner at the time, would the Democratic Party have collapsed and fallen under his spell as quickly as the Republicans did? And I say, no way. You see, as George Will admitted, 
conservatism is a hard sell. In an ever more complex world, people have problems and issues and hurdles that can't simply be overcome by their own efforts. And whether the issue is housing, education, employment, healthcare, poverty, racism, pollution, or environmental distress, conservatism's answer is inevitably, this is not government's problem. We need to limit its size and responsibility. You're on your own. Indeed, in general, the only promise conservatism will work to fulfill is an America primarily white, unregulated, and untaxed, at least for the wealthy. In a nation where so many need help and where almost a majority aren't white, what do conservatives have to sell anymore? No wonder the Republican Party, as we've known it, has been hijacked. Who was left to fight for it? That collapse, reminiscent of the overnight collapse of Soviet communism in 1991, in hindsight seems to have been inevitable. Both parties, be it the Communist Party in the Soviet Union or the Republican Party here, neither party had anything to sell anymore. Neither party was responding to what the people really needed. And in times of distress, cults become ever more attractive. For some, the more extreme, the more enticing. This phenomenon could not have happened to the Democratic Party. Not because Democrats have cornered the market on virtue. They or we certainly haven't. But when people become Democrats, they become such for a cause, something they deeply believe in, be it civil rights, public education, health care for all, fighting discrimination and racism, fighting for equality of economic opportunity. And when this is your reason for becoming a Democrat, you're not going to let anyone opposed to such values hijack the party, particularly a buffoon. But Republicans, but for their wish that their taxes would be lower and their neighborhood and schools remain white, Republicans have no particular interest in what government does. Indeed, the less, the better. So when George Will says conservatism is a hard sell to a nation with problems and needs, he's right. To young people who want to get involved in government, in civic affairs, in helping each other, in building a nation devoid of racism, discrimination, and inequality of basic opportunity, I say, why would you join a party who chose not to have a platform this past election? That's right. The Republican Party this past election had no platform, no statement of principles, values or goals beyond fealty to a huckster. And you wonder how the Republican Party got hijacked. It was there for the taking. Wow, Jerry. All right. Hey, Jerry. Yes. You know, uh, we actually listened to your rants. <laughs> and I should tell our audience, we do not hear those, nor do we read those in advance. And often we'll start an episode and I will ask the general question, as I did in this episode, uh, what caught your interest? 
because it's the truth. It's honest. And Jerry, uh, who scripts this, wouldn't the point being he really thinks this through. Now, I want to, here's the compliment I want to pay you, and it's high praise for what it's worth for me. Uh, that is a hell of a commentary because what you just said, and I never thought about this before, I swear to God, I didn't see that George Will interview. I'm sitting here listening to this thinking, oh my God, is it possible that conservatism is dead? Now, let's set the Republican Party aside for a minute, because as you point out in that commentary, the Republican Party picked up the flag, the banner of conservatism, and they ran with it. I think for two reasons. One, because they believe in the tenets of conservatism. And secondly, uh, it, it, it was their thing that they could set, they could get elected on it. But what if conservatism is dead for the reasons you stated? Young people and middle-aged people who, who are growing up and have grown up over the years are thinking this message of government is the enemy. <laughs> not only is government not your friend, it's your enemy. Then that's a hard sell, as George Will says. And what seems to be emerging is this battle between well, look, liberalism or progressivism means progress. It means change. So right. it means if you're a black person and you're getting screwed, uh, progressives will help us go forward. Right, Jerry? It's go forward. Yeah. Yep. Make things better. We're always getting better. You can bitch about things the way they are now. But we, if you join with us and we march together, we will make things better. So that's what a progressive is. It means progress. Conservatism means keep things the way they are. Exactly. Leave it to beaver, family values, no divorce, no birth control, you know, all this stuff. Keep things the way they were in the 1950s. Or and why is that, Gene? Who does it benefit to keep things the way they were in 1950s? Them. Yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but look where we may be, look where we may have arrived. If that's not selling, then it's gone down to, and this is Donald Trump, and this is Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon, uh, God, I'd love to get him on with us sometime because he'd be, I think he actually would be a great conversation. Oh, is yeah, he may smart. have said to Trump, conservatism is dead, don't run on it. You can run on that cultural crap, but not conservatism is not selling populism is selling so now we may be down to the battle politically between progressivism and populism and then i'll shrink it down into two even tighter lanes white people mm -hmm. that's those are the populace and the diverse people because it isn't like white people, liberal white people, conservative, it's white people. And then you got and the, that are the rural and it's an aging population, rural white people. I rode a bicycle across hundreds of miles of it in Montana and then in through other areas like Kentucky, Southern Illinois, Wyoming. And then the other group, and this would be us because we're white people, but we join up with 
GLBT and and people of color, uh, whether it's Asian, Latino, Hispanic, Native American, African American, that may be what this battle now is forming into. Populists and progressives maybe defined the way I I just did, but man, you've brought it into focus. Yeah, really. um, yeah. Thanks. Um, it it just seems to me so obvious that there are so many people that need help. Yep. Oh, and yeah. I'm not just talking about poor people. There's just so much that we can't possibly do ourselves, and we can certainly start out with health insurance, that it's affecting everybody. The cost of education, is the environment. I mean, there's so many, this younger generation, they need help. And they're not gonna buy an argument. Well, don't worry, we won't take the help because we don't like big government. What? You know, (laughs) if someone's hungry and all of a sudden you can get a food program that gives your kids a school lunch, what, are you going to say, no, I don't want my kid to have that school lunch because I, I hate big government. Because bootstraps. No, these are bootstraps. nuts. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it's like, and we go through this, by the way, which was the response when we had the Great Depression in the, you know, in the 30s, 29 and then the 30s. That's how Roosevelt got in. That's how we got the New Deal. That's how we got Social Security. That's how we ultimately, you know, wound up then getting Medicare and all this kind of stuff. It's because when people are really in need, government's the only entity left to do it. You can't say the private sector will do it all because the private sector exists to run on profit. That's how it operates. It's not in their best interest to do it all. Right. They're going to always try to do something which cuts their expenses. And you can't say, well, private charity will do it because private charity doesn't do it. When we cut government, there are some people that give a lot of money in charity, and that's wonderful. But a lot of that is given because it makes you feel good. I mean, you know, your, your church or your temple tells you, you know, help people. And that's good. That's great. But that's not enough to do it. The only way we're going to get enough resources to help those who really need help which is almost everybody except millionaires, is for the government to get into this, to the government to get involved. And it, it, these culture wars is, it, it are killing us. And, it's, yeah. and they're so absurd that that's a subject for, for another day. But, yeah. uh, you know, some people are just voting, you know, for the Republican Party because they want their Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, boy, there's an issue for another commentary yep. with what this uh, Supreme Court just did to a woman's right I don't to control over her own body. I love that so many of these people that are screaming about um, taking the vaccine, because how can the government tell us what to do with my own body? I don't want to have to take the shot. It's my body. Those very same people are the ones that are saying uh, the government should tell a woman what she has to do with her body. Yeah, that she, she, you know, it's like there is such inconsistency. It's because these people have have this one view on a cultural issue and they're not going to give up, even if it makes no sense and there's no consistency to it. Hey, let me ask you something. Uh, uh, you and I met in 1969, 70, 
one of those years a long time ago. Yeah, you and, like you and Bonnie and me and Mickey, we went to a movie together and I paid for the tickets. Well, that that may be I true. paid for the true. tickets. Now, I don't <laughs> 50 years later. I, you know, how about it? Hey, the the uh, and preceding that. I, I got uh, a call, and I've told this here before. I'll do this very briefly, but I'm saying, hey, this new guy's in town, and he's uh, running this uh, organization to attempt to get the voting age lowered in Ohio because it was 21 at the time. So I went to this meeting, and probably more than one meeting, and uh, Jerry Springer was the person who turns out had been hired by this organization in the state of Ohio called Vote 19. He was a young law school graduate and just kind of entering professional life. And I sat on, you know, a bunch of us in a circle on the floor of somebody's apartment in Cincinnati, and I'm listening to this. And I thought, dude, this guy has skills. You know, he has, uh, he's very bright, excellent speaker, very analytical, very engaging. And that was the beginning of what many people saw over time in both politics, then in the news business, and then national television was the Jerry Springer. And I thought, and I probably went home and told my wife, we had just gotten married. Uh, this guy is like unique, very sounds like Bobby Kennedy. And tragically, Bobby Kennedy had been murdered not long before then. And Jerry had been an advisor to him. It turns out that was part of his bio. So years later, I and, and like sitting here right now, I'm thinking, what prepared you right out of the shoot, 1970-ish, to be able to do all that? Were you, because I knew some people who were like that, other people who were like that, and you could look back on their upbringing, uh, Megan, and their schooling, and they were student council president, head of the senior class at a university. I knew some of these people. I myself was, you know, had gotten elected to some of those kinds of positions along the way. You know, part of uh, young city council where you go down to city council and sit on those big chairs and so that's preparation. That's schooling. Did that happen to you, Jerry? All kidding aside, when you were in high school, when you were at Tulane University, when you were at Northwestern Law School, were you that guy? Uh, no. Uh, well, I uh, no. I I had never run for anything. I became chancellor, which was like president of my fraternity chapter, but. Yeah. That was because I thought that'd be a good way to get dates. So yeah. that honestly, I, you know, that was a time and you might remember, maybe it was unfair, but we kind of thought that the kids that were in student government were kind of nerdy and, you know, it just wasn't to take now. And, and you were whole- so cool that you couldn't, <laughs> that, that was oh. So help, help me understand that. That's a good point. No, I can't help you understand that because there's no understanding to that. But it's not anything I, uh, I mean, I did think, I, I, I did think, what are we worried about what the school decorations are going to be at the prom? Uh, yeah. You know, my whole interest, as you know, because we talked about this, it's the same with you. 
my whole interest was uh, civil rights and anti-war, uh, yeah. you know, against the Vietnam War. That was all I was focused on. I went to law school because my parents said you either go to uh, medical school or law school. And I figured law school was closer to these political issues. So I went to law school, but I wasn't thinking about becoming a lawyer. I just, that's why I immediately ran for Congress, you know, as this anti-war candidate. So we, we were, we were soul brothers before we became best friends. I mean, yeah. we just agreed on all of that. And that's all I ever cared about. I mean, the show business was a, as you know, was a pure accident because from politics, from 10 years on the council and then mayor, that went into um, being a news anchor because I was hired by the local affiliate NBC to say, hey, you were mayor. Why don't you do our news? Because, you know, the city. So I did that for 10 years. And that turned into the crazy television show because the company owned talk shows. Phil Donahue, Sully, just repped. So all of that was an accident. I mean, I've been the luckiest career-wise, the luckiest person in the world. I mean, I had all these great jobs, but it wasn't anything that was an ambition. The only thing I cared about, you know, coming out of school was the Vietnam War and um, the civil rights movement. And that got my juices going as it got you going. And that, that was our interest, by the way, in this music, this folk music, because that was so much a part of what we were feeling. So politics wasn't a hobby. It was, we breathed it because there were issues we specifically cared about. I mean, that's how all this happened. This was just- I sometimes I wonder, and I'm a retired career educator, whether schooling, and this question is you too, Megan, all the schooling we all went through and we all have both uh, high school and then college degrees and we all have graduate degrees. Jerry has a Juris Doctorate, you and I, Megan, have Masters. Does schooling really, is it the key to success in our careers? Because what you're saying, Jerry, is that the incredible success you had in three areas, politics, because you were elected to some pretty good offices and did pretty well running and being courted to run for the highest offices in a state. So in politics, in media, where you became a news anchor in a major city, and then a national TV star, now Judge Jerry, you're using your law degree and I... Uh, seriously, why watch your show today? I'm not joking about this. And I watch you as like, dude's a judge. You're seriously processing stuff that's very important to the people involved. These are, you know, uh, lawsuits at a, I don't know, relatively low level or not for a million dollars. Yeah. But you're saying that your schooling didn't teach you how to win an election. It didn't teach you how to anchor the news. No, it, but what it did teach. Yeah, what did it do? I, I swear by education, this is the same speech I give to our grandson. Uh, he's athletic. And, you know, a lot of the people listening, you, you you're, a, you know, you with your riding bikes across the country, uh, all of that. It's what school does it's the same as going to a gym. It, it gets your mental muscle in the brain going. You learn how to think. You learn how to 
organize ideas, you learn how to articulate. That's what education does. It's not a matter of memorizing the particular lessons you had. The discipline that you learn in school of studying for exams, of writing an essay and coming up with a beginning, a middle, and an end, having them all meet, all of that training, the same with law school. You don't come out of law school and have memorized all the laws because whenever there's a case, the first thing you do is research it. No one would, would take a case and, and, and just try to remember what you had in class 20 years ago. It's, school is important because it's the first time in your life when you are taught to sit in one place and discipline your mind to concentrate, to organize thoughts, to articulate these thoughts. It's a, it's a, it's a mental workout. And that's well, and, why school is important. Yeah. And mental agility. You know, we've got um, my, my stepdaughter is going through this right now. She's in some AP classes and where it was at one point in time, you'd have a professor or a teacher that would pair it and you would pair it back. Now it's, you know, you're learning how to take some of that stra- stuff, extract what you need and move on from it. So that mental agility and ability to change how you learn for each subject, for each teacher, that's the gift of education, because nowhere in your real life is anyone going to sit down and tell you exactly how to do something and exactly yep. what your expectations are. You need to be able to infer that from from your cues. And that's been huge in my life. Yeah. Why do we learn math? I mean, if you think about it, uh, other than addition, subtraction and, uh, you know, division, uh, you're not the practical aspects unless you become an engineer of that. Yeah. It's not, but it's the discipline of having to be logical, yep. work things out. I mean, that's why we go through these drills. So, uh, you know, I would add to that the thing that, and I'm an ex-English major, not ex, I, I graduated with a degree in English. And I really believe, and my son did as well, it's about communication. You mm-hmm. said this, Jerry. The ability not only to analyze stuff and figure stuff out, and like you say, Megan, pull out what you need, piece it together, but it's also about being able to communicate, whether it's through talking, which is so important. And you, you, Jerry, that's where you have made your fortunes and have had your success is that you're a hell of a communicator. And that's what I was trying to say by the first time I saw you leading a group of people in a fight to get the voting age changed. And in time it did get changed uh, in a major state, state being Ohio, it's communication is so important. So, uh, and we put, we all have succeeded from that. Megan, you spent part of your life and still do it as a communicator. And yeah. So anyway, yeah. all right. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, uh, speaking hey, of communication, what? I got this, yeah. Gene. I got this. <laughs> Let's go to the communicator. <laughs> another way, another form of communication is music. And we have a musical guest here this evening, back this week. Hey, guys, welcome back. Hello. Hello. Thanks for Good. having us again. Good to be so here. So, last time we chatted um, about kind of a funk sound that you have. Um, your band's name is Manning, correct? Massing. Massing. I'm sorry. I'm so You're sorry. Fine. Massing. Before we listen name. to you, Manning tell us where better, we yeah. can find your music. 
Uh, you can find it wherever you want. Spotify, iTunes, iTunes Apple Music, YouTube, mm-hmm. Deezer, iHeartRadio, Amazon, <laughs> etc. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of hearkening back to Gene's conversation, Jerry's conversation about communication. What is it that you as a group are trying to communicate? If you had to like sum it up, what are you trying to communicate? Hmm. I think that we try to strike uh, somewhere between like very emotional moving, like this is something that I think needs to be said. And then also like the completely playful and carefree opposite of that somewhat <laughs> foolish like, yeah just embracing like it can mean everything and also nothing like you don't have to take it very seriously but it's there if you want to dig into it yeah um but i think the goal is to just make stuff that's catchy sounds fun know, yeah. makes yeah. you listen to it more <laughs> very cool what do you have for us this evening what is what is the second song that we have uh this week we're doing go away which is more of like a uh slow it this one's more of on, on the emotional side of the mm-hmm. spectrum i would say this one's a a slow sort of could could be disguised as a as a breakup mm-hmm. sort of love song kind of thing ballady a little bit yeah all right very dramatic let's check this out this is go away by massive Take the leap of faith or that I'd fall flat on my face. 
You were listening to Massing with Go Away. Um, When you are checking these guys out, which I highly encourage that you do, go to iTunes, Apple Store, everywhere. Check them out. Um, Give their music a listen. Uh, Give them feedback. And please, please, please give us feedback, too. We need to know that you're out there. The the powers that be on the interwebs need to know that you know that we're here, too. So get on out there. Let them know that we're here. Give us a five-star review. Gene Galvin lives to read your reviews. Cannot wait to bring them to us. He has nothing else to do all day long. Please write to him. (laughs) With that, we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much, Massing. And Gene and Jerry, I guess we'll talk next week. Take us out, Jerry. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matthew. You guys are you guys are good singers. That was great. I really enjoyed that. That was really cool. Well, I'm gonna lay down my heavy load down by the riverside. Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside. Sword and shield Down by